Good morning to everyone. Um, I'd like to begin by saying a big thank you to the church for giving me this um, privilege to speak and share from the Word of God. And I trust that God in His message would, through His Spirit, speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. I'd like to begin as we read from Romans 15, verse 4. Romans 15, verse 4. It says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of Scripture might have hope. And I pray as we go through Matthew, 27 from verse 1 to 14 we would find words of hope words of comfort that will see us through as we continue in this narrow way let us pray most high god we thank you once again for this opportunity to come together under your banner we ask as I open your word, as I read from your word, you grant me all friends that your name will be glorified and the church will be blessed to your glory in Jesus' name. I was trying to provide a title to this verses before me. And I felt I might have to wait to the end of the talk to be able to actually bring forward a befitting title that sums up everything that I want to say to us today. I'll begin by reading to us from Matthew 27. But if you allow me, I'll back up to 26, verse 75. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus, which said, Unto him, before the cock crows, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Matthew 27, verse 1. And when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him unto Pontus Pilate, the governor. Then, Jesus, then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, <clears throat> repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to it, to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple, and departed, and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for them to put them into the treasury, because it is a price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field 
to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was a field that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. Verse 11. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered, Nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things the witness against thee? Verse 14 and the last. And he answered him too, never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. I like to break these verses um, into just three groups. Um, in those three groups, you see three key characters revolving around Jesus. You will see, obviously, the Jews, the Jewish leaders, Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the chief priests, all together as one group. You will also see Judas, one of the twelve disciples. Obviously, we know he betrayed Christ. And you will lastly you see the judge, Pilate, that obviously judged the case at that time. And I'm praying that as we go through this, we begin to appreciate what Christ went through. And look at what Christ went through. Look at what the judge did. Look at what the Jewish leaders did. And look at Judas. But at the same time, let's look at our lives. And I trust that God in his mercy will speak to us in Jesus' name. Now, verse 1, it says, When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. Before this time, the Jewish leaders met in the evening. They agreed and made sure they got false witnesses to put Christ to death. But you should remember that it's not possible to obviously condemn someone at night. Anytime you meet together to obviously judge someone that's committed a crime, it mustn't be done at night. It must be done in daylight. So they obviously met earlier on and tried to obviously ensure that Christ was condemned. Ultimately, ultimately, what happened was they now met in the daytime, about 5, 6 a.m., and they were planning to put Jesus Christ to death. Excuse me. What's that? So, at about 6 o'clock in the morning, they came together and they were walking towards trying to condemn Christ. It's quite strange. The Sadducees, 
the Pharisees. See, those are grouped together on everything. But on this matter, they agreed together. And that's quite strange. That we see unity in the world against Christ. It's still happening right now. That even in our time, people come together from different walks of life. And they are all against the word and the gospel of Christ. And I pray that God will give us strength to stand for his truth, regardless in Jesus' name. Verse 2 says, And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him unto Pontius Pilate, the governor, because they didn't have the right to condemn, to condemn Christ to death. They had no right as Jews to condemn anyone to death. And they had to obviously deliver Christ to Pilate, a Roman judge, governor, to condemn Christ to death. Verse 3, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he had condemned, repented himself, and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. This is very, very important. That Judas Iscariot, a lot of times we look at him as a betrayer, and indeed he is a betrayer. He betrayed Christ. But also, if you look at Matthew 6, verse 25, where we read earlier on, Peter equally betrayed Christ. And the betrayal of Christ by Peter, in a way, can be more serious. Not in terms of consequence, but in terms of who Peter was. Peter was the first to be called among the disciples. Peter was the one that Christ told that flesh and blood had not revealed unto you, but by Father which is in heaven. That's in Peter. And at the end of the day, despite all that Peter knew, Peter, on its own, still betrayed Christ. But Judas, Judas, yes, he was a disciple. Yes, he was the one that saw things happen. When people were being healed, he saw it had been happened. He was a treasurer. He was involved in hiring the money of the church. That was very, very true. But Judas Iscariot was a man that didn't fully understand who Christ was. He didn't fully understand the mission and the mandate of Christ. And ultimately, because of his love for money, he sold Christ. He sold the Savior for 30 pieces of silver. We're told that that's the price of a slave. Verse, what was verse 4? We're told here that Judas repented. He felt very bad for what he had done. He obviously felt that what he done was not what he was not right. And sometimes we feel the same way too. We've done something, and we feel what I've done is not right. But what he didn't do correctly was that he did not ask for forgiveness from Christ. He, did not, he didn't approach the Savior and say, Christ, I've sinned against you. Forgive me. He didn't do that. He took law into himself and he hung himself eventually. Verse 6, verse 4, four says, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. Verse 5 says that 
and he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. That's not repentance. That's self-pity. He was remorseful for what he had done. And God doesn't expect us to obviously go this far when we offend him. God expects us as children of God when we offend him to obviously confess our sins and forsake them. And God is faithful to forgive us of all our sins. There's a word I want to bring to our attention in verse 4. It's called the innocent blood. And I think you can reflect on the life of a child. And you will say to yourself that this child is an innocent blood. You can reflect on the life of an unborn child. And you can say this child, unborn, doing the womb, is an innocent blood. You can reflect on the life of someone that is unwell, very sick, in pain, great pain. And you can say, well, this also, to a certain extent, considering what is going through, is an innocent blood or innocent, innocent person. And can reflect on yourself that God didn't, didn't make yourself. God made you. God gave you life. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Almighty God. And you begin to wonder, like Judas, he took his life. Didn't make that life. He didn't create that life, but he took his life. And that brings me to mind about things like, um, you hear of things like um, suicide. And that's quite common nowadays. You hear of things like um, euthanasia. Um, you hear of words like abortion. Those three elements um, in our time seem to be things that people feel it's okay. And if you get pregnant, you don't want that child. The economy is very, very hard. What should I do? Let me get this child removed. Let's flush it out. Let's take a tablet. Let's take a pill and flush it out. It doesn't really matter. God understands. That is an innocent blood. You might feel you're in pain. Things are very, very hard. You're not feeling too well. And because of the illness, you feel, let me just end it right now. I think about the life of John the Baptist, sorry, not John the Baptist, John the Beloved. We're told in his own time he was put into a hot oil. He didn't die. He was banished to the Isle of Patmos. In the midst of that pain, I could imagine he could have felt, this is terrible. How can I survive this? In, was in that time, at that time of great suffering, he had one of the biggest revelations in the Bible. Think about Peter, think about even Paul the Apostle. They went through a lot of suffering. They went through a lot of pain, but none of them felt it right or deemed it right to end their lives. And I pray that God will give us grace to, to look at the life God has given to us. It may not be for you right now. It may be somebody you would know that may call you one day and say, look here, I'm tired of life. I think I want to end it right now. There's hope. There's hope in Christ. There's hope in the gospel. There's hope in the word of God. And as we look forward, we'll see more of this hope going forward by God's grace. Verse 6 says, And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful 
or to put them into the treasury. But it is the price of blood. Verse 7 says that he took counsel together and brought with them the potter's field to bury strangers. Verse 8 says, Wherefore the field was called the field of blood unto this day, which in verse 9 reveals the prophecy that led to the actions or the events that we saw in verse 6 to verse 8. Verse 9 now says, Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the, cheap, the test pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, one day of the children of Israel did value. Now, you may argue and say this actual quote didn't come from Jeremiah, but it was the same context, the same theme in Jeremiah 19, verse 1 to 13. But the actual phase was actually taken from Zechariah 11, verse 12 to 13. The idea is that in the Old Testament, it was broken into three groups, three, um, three sections. The first was the, um, the law, the writings, and the prophets. And most times when they refer to the prophets' writing, they refer to the most prominent prophet at that time and that was Jeremiah hence they wrote there um, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet verse 10 says and they and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me verse 11 and this is going to be our last point and Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him saying and thou the king of the Jews and Jesus said unto him thou sayest and thou the king of the Jews it's quite amazing that when Christ was born the king at that time was concerned that the child was born the king of the Jews and at that time a lot of children were killed at that time and right now, he's been asked that same question, or rather a question, Are thou the king of the Jews? And just answered, he couldn't deny himself, he was the king of the Jews, he was the king of kings and the king of the whole world. He says, Thou seest. Verse 12, And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he, enter, he answered nothing. And I wondered if you and I found ourselves on the death row, and we had a chance to defend ourselves. What would we do? If seemingly our defense might save our lives or avert our demise, what would we do? But Christ at this point said nothing. He answered nothing. Why? Why didn't he try and defend himself? I'm sure you know why. One, because he came to this world to die for you and I. That was why. But beyond that, let's see Isaiah 9, sorry, Isaiah 53, verse 6. Let me just open that very quickly. Isaiah 53, verse 6. Verse 5. Let's have in verse 4. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Verse 5 says, 
but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with the stripes we are healed. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. And that's quite amazing that Christ was very keen to fulfill scripture. Every action, every word, every deed he performed on earth from the time he was born to the time he died was meant to fulfill scripture. And that's very, very important because as Christians, we have to think about that. That the things we do, is it meant to fulfill scripture, i.e. to glorify God? The Bible says, when we eat or drink, we should do it to what? The glory of God. And Christ was more concerned about the glory of God, fulfilling scriptures, than anything else. Even though it was in pain, even though it was shame, think about it, it was the king of kings. It was the Lord of lords. He had the authority to command angels to come down to rescue him. He didn't do that. To be able to speak for himself and defend himself, he didn't do that. There was a man that had been defending the scriptures and his actions up until this time. But at this very, very last stage, he did not. He did not defend himself. Verse 12, again, I read, he said, And when he was accused of the chief priests and the elders, he answered nothing, because he was at peace in the midst, in the midst of the storm. And that's not something strange to us. When Christ was with the disciples in the boat, and there was a storm there, he was sleeping. He was at peace. At peace with the word of God. At peace with the will of God. At peace not based on how he felt because of the pain, because of, in quote, the shame. No, he was at peace because his peace was based on doing the will of God. And that is towards the question, what gives you peace? Are you at peace because of the money you have? the title you have, the knowledge you have, the experience you've acquired. Are you at peace because of your children, your grandchildren, the degree you've acquired over the years? What gives you peace? Do you find peace in doing God's will? Do you find peace in obeying God? Do you find peace in making sure that everything we do brings glory to God. Verse 13. Then Pilate then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things the weakness against thee? And he answered him too. 
never a word, in so much that the governor marveled greatly. Pilate obviously wasn't, um, he wasn't a Jew, he was a Roman, he wasn't a Gentile. He obviously was a governor, the 50 governor um, in that area. And that where he was governing wasn't, it was a place you get sent to if you're not doing too well. Um, but he was there trying to govern that area at that time. Um, he wasn't the best of men in terms of a Gentile, in terms of the leader, he was a cruel man. But if you read, as we move on to the next verses later on, you realize that even Pilate himself testified that this was an innocent man, that this was a just man. But still, but still, he still condemned him to death. He condemned the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Ancient of Days, our Savior to death, because the word of God cannot be broken. I've said a lot, not too much today. Um, I said probably less than what I wanted to say. I didn't go to my outline of five pages. Um, but let me just summarize what I have to say to you today. When we look at the whole 14 verses, these verses are a, a storm of emotions. There was hatred in the first two verses the gent the jews and the leaders they had envy they were envious because christ were do was doing things they could not do they were envious because christ was now not submitted submissive to their authority and on that platform they felt they had to kill christ judas was full of emotions he was full of Initially, was happy he would make some money of Christ. But later on, his joy, his happiness became sorrow for what he had done. Pilate was obviously surprised. He was perplexed by what happened. And if you bring everything together, what comes out to me is emotion, feelings. And the world we live in today gives a bit more Priority gives a bit more weight to how we feel, to what we feel as human beings. And we're getting to a point whereby our feelings, which is not, it's important to have feelings, don't get me wrong, but you can't base your faith on how you feel because faith is not feeling. What we should be doing as Christians is to make sure that we begin with the facts of Scripture. Our lives are based on the facts of scripture, objective truth, truth that, came, that comes from the word of God. And it's that fact of scripture, fact of scriptures, that obviously now brings forth faith. The Bible says, if you come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And from that faith, we can now begin to have our feelings. Our feelings doesn't determine the facts because feelings are not facts. And our faith is not based on how we feel. Our faith is based solely on the word of God. And I pray that God will give us the grace and the strength as we look at the life of Christ, all his being true, to reflect on our lives 
that the king of kings left the glory, left glory, came to this earth, and he was humiliated. He was shamed. He was disgraced. Just for your sins and my sins. If you're here today and you haven't given your life to Christ, I encourage you to do so. Because all Christ went through is to edit sword. On the one end, for those who accept him, he would forgive and they would get saved. But for those who reject him, all that he's been through will not be in vain. That he will come next as a judge. And I pray that God will give us grace that if we've not known Christ as a Savior and our Lord, we'll know him as such in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Our most high God will bless your name for this day. We give you praise for all you've done, what we've had. Um, you could have done better, but it's what it is for now. We ask the Lord that what we've had will bring fruit in our hearts and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name.